The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Father, please grant us the grace this morning to, again, open our hearts, be present with you. Not that you're... For those who have come and submitted ourselves to you, not that we're outside you, but found in you, let's enjoy that. Kind of what rings true, what is truth this morning, help us live according to it. Help us act according to your truth. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are now 16 weeks into a sermon series on prayer called Talking to God. And uh, as we go through this, uh, we have an introduction, but I want uh, you to know next week's our last week in this series. So if you haven't started praying, you have one more week really, you know, to uh, live in this series at least. Um, And this is what we, We've meant to capture every time we preach. Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only expressed their personal desire, but offers their impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God. Lord, teach us to pray. And what I really love about what we're going to look at today in Acts 1, Acts 2 is that we've actually just looked at individuals, and this is the first time we see how prayer transforms a group of people. People who are praying together are transformed by it, which is awesome. I think a lot of times we think very individually, I pray to God, but this is looking at people who are praying together. Now, it is tough to do things together, right? Uh, The Example that comes to mind for me is, have you ever stood on a pier, a dock, a rock, and you're looking into a dark body of cold water? And you have someone there with you, and, and you're like, okay, on the count of three, we're going to jump into the... <laughs> and there is nothing but doubt in whoever... It could be your wife. It could be the closest person to you, and you're like, one. And the whole time, they're not going to do it. And so, you know, you're like, and and that's what church can feel like. That's what praying together can feel like. I've been in so many prayer meetings, and sometimes you have this nagging thought, like, do they want to be here as much as I want to be there? Are they really praying sincere, right? You're like analyzing people's prayers or whatever it is. Even church, right, as you come together. Sometimes you're coming to church, you're like, well, I'm going. Is the other person going? And you're like, will we do it together? Will we be in this together? I come every Sunday morning not knowing who's going to show up. That's just part of it. That's part of being a pastor. You're like, well, this could be the week they come. This could be the week they don't. (laughs) Moment of honesty as a pastor. You just don't know. It, it, It is so much of gathering, so much of being a group is wondering are they with me? Will they, will they go with me? Will they just stop at some point? Will they decide to, to go somewhere else or whatever? You know, whatever it is. It's very hard to gather, to be united, to know you're, you're at the same pace together. You're going to jump together into this thing that we say is more important than anything else, which is 
being a part of the family of God. It's more important than anything else. Even, I mean, this is, this is the words of Jesus, right? This isn't even my notes, but as I think about this, and this is what Jesus meant when he said, you know, unless you love me more than your father, your mother, your spouse, your siblings, you gotta love me more than that. That means even, like, Hannah and I, in our marriage, we submit to God first, right? How does it, what does it look like to be not just an individual, but people together in your marriage, your church, your community, whatever that is, that you're like, number one is we're submitting to God. And then what does that life look like? And that is what we get in Acts 2. People who are 100% on mission together of of remembering the words of Jesus and obeying the words of Jesus. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. And ultimately, that's that's people who pray pray together. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts um, I'll give you a little context, um, and it gives this as you, as you get into Acts 1, but the context is simply this. Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you know, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. New Testament starts, and you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's just the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and they're all telling it from the, the angle of different people who spent time with them, and then Jesus raises from the dead, and then the book of Acts, which we're, we're looking into now, is just a people who have seen Jesus, who was dead and is now alive. And, and this is how it starts. Actually, we're going we're gonna to jump in <clears throat> down at... Uh, yeah, verse 3. The, the, the start just talks about... So, Jesus is, um, has come back and Luke has written this book to Theophilus and now he's writing this book and it says, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What a special time. This is Jesus just spending time with these people for 40 days, just telling them what they need to know for when he leaves. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promises, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he was taken up into a cloud. And so this is, what we get here is this memory of Jesus. This is the first movement as we move towards a group of people who are united in one heart and mind together. We get a group of people who are remembering the words of Jesus. You have 40 days he's with them, and then you have about 10 days until Pentecost, which we get in, in chapter 2, and, and Peter is having this powerful sermon that he's preaching to everybody. They have 10 days, and what they do within that 10 days is really important. This is, my guess is this is what they do in remembering Jesus. <laughs> my, my guess is the first thought that the disciples had was, well, he died and came back. Maybe he's just going to you know, maybe he's going to come back. You know, he went away. It seemed like he was just going to stay away this time, you know. 
But they just had this amazing experience where Jesus had died, and they all went into hiding, fear, mourning, and then Jesus shows up, and they were so blown away. So my guess is he leaves again, and they're like, I think he's really going to stay away this time. That's probably the first thought they had. And then what they started doing is they tried to remember what Jesus had said. Okay, okay, now what do we do? (laughs) Now what do we do? And Jesus says this. He says, wait. Okay, I remember, remember Jesus, we were like gathered around the, no, not that far. It was the, not, no, it was the other campsite we were at. Remember that one? And Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. (sighs) Okay, we're going to wait. Well, what waiting meant before Jesus, the Messiah came, was hundreds of years. It's literally like, hundreds of years between the last prophecy about the Messiah coming and the Messiah coming. And so he goes, now stay in Jerusalem and wait. So they, they just probably buckle up and they're just ready to wait. They're going to wait it out. Committed to Jesus's words. What does that look like for them? Well, in, in verse 14, it says they join together constantly in prayer. So that's what waiting meant for these people. It meant that they're not just going to forget about Jesus. They're not just going to go, okay, well, it might be a couple hundred years until he comes. But they saw the way of Jesus. They walked in his way. And they thought, what did Jesus do in any spare moment he had? And this is a question you can ask yourself. When you do not know what to do and you're trying to remember what to do. Seriously, the same exercises the early church did. Whenever you feel lost, pointless, like you got misdirected at some point, maybe you took the wrong turn, and in your life, you're just, you just aren't sure anymore. Have you, have you ever been in that spot where you're like, man, I just don't know. Like, I've, I've checked off boxes. I've had a job I've really enjoyed. I'm married. I love my wife. Like all these things I'm doing, but I just feel like at, I just don't wake up in the morning focused anymore. You can do the same thing that these early Christians did. It was what? What did Jesus say? What were the clear things Jesus said and did? What are we going to do? They gathered together to constantly pray. And they remembered his words together and then what they did next was they obeyed Jesus's words now obeying Jesus's words here involves faith and and I say that because here if you read in verse um, seven he says it's not for you to know the time or dates the father set by his own authority it's not for you to know the time or dates the father sets by his own authority so Jesus would have would have really eased them a lot of heartburn if he goes, hey, in 10 days. And they're just waiting it out, right? They're like, okay, let's just, everyone go to Taco Bell. We're just going to wait because in 10 days from now, he's going to show up. Instead, he invites them to lean on, to fall on completely what he's said and what he's done. With no period of time that they know they're going to be doing that. And so they wait, it involves faith. Now, I think it's kind of comical, the modern aversion to the word faith. It's sad, but I choose to see it comically. Sometimes you have to do that in this life. But, you know, when you say faith, like, like someone's on the same page with you, 
like they're starting to enjoy hearing about Jesus and they're like, man, maybe Christians aren't crazy. Like I've spent some time with you and you seem like a cool person. And then, and then you talk to them. Well, you do, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to put your faith in Jesus. And they're like, I'm out, right? Like I thought you were reasonable and then you said I had to have faith. Now faith is for idiots, that's the modern view of faith, right? Faith is for those people who don't care about science. They don't care about anything. They just, they're just like, we're just going to wing it, right? That's what faith means in our modern context. That is not what faith means. Faith is the, I'm just going to read what I wrote here because I think it's really true. Faith is the furthest thing from stupid thinking. Faith has taken in all the facts and has chosen to trust the one who not only created all things, but sustains and saves all things according to his powerful word. I'm going to put my faith in him. Why? Because, because he's proven himself faithful over and over again. I'm going to take in all the facts that I know. Right? I'm going to take in all I've seen in this world and all I've experienced in my life and these words that I get to read in front of me. I'm going to take all those things and I'm going to trust the one who I see created the world, sustains the world, and saves the world. That's what I mean when I say faith. It's not like, I don't know. It's, I know Jesus. I've seen the work of Jesus. I've seen Jesus transform lives. I've heard his word. I've read his word. And I believe his words are accurate and true. That's what I mean when I say faith. Now, in that, there are going to be dark spots. There's going to be shadows where Jesus says to you, you know what? You don't get to know the hour. You don't get to know the day. I need you to trust me. That's faith. Faith isn't going to Jesus, I have to know if I'm going to trust you. It's going, no, I trust you, Jesus. You love me, Jesus. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you because you have been faithful. And so we obey him. We've heard his word. We remembered his word. And then we respond in obedience to to him. Now, as I read this, um, as I go through and I hear, uh, I see the early church and how much time they're spending together, a question that comes to mind, which probably comes in your mind also, is do these people have jobs? You know? Uh, Sometimes we read it and we're like, wow, these people must have just given up their job. Like, they must have just been like, we're living off of love, you know? And they're just like gathering around. Like that's, that's kind of the image we have. And they're like, that can be them, that can't be me because I have a job. <laughs> I have people that I'm responsible for. They're like, you know, that's not what happened. What it shows here is these are people who they've oriented their lives differently. Guys, we, we, all, we all choose what to do with our time. We just choose to do different things with our time than they did. They still had to work, they had bills to pay, they needed to buy food. But what we see along is that as they go, and we're going to get to this in, point, in part four, but they actually end up, some of them just start selling their stuff because some people have more need than they do, and they're like, I'm going to sell this, and so I'm going to provide for some people. And they just start taking care of one another and starts easing the burden of one another, right? Uh, and that's amazing to watch. But they, they did have jobs, they worked, but then they committed that, that other time to, to remembering the words of Jesus and obeying the words of Jesus. 
And a lot of the other things in their life just started kind of going away. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen that in your life? You're like, all of a sudden you're really passionate about like, you know, some like, I don't know, Settler's Catan. And, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I just, I don't remember what I did before because now every night I just play Settler's Catan every night. <laughs> you see, you had time, you just allocated it differently. <laughs> we do that all the time. I was passionate about this, but now like, I'm way into European soccer. I know all the teams. I know the players. I know their jersey numbers. Whatever. <laughs> you're like, wow, and this guy has this many assists. And you're like, yeah, you see, you had time. You're just now using it differently. And that is the same thing. I tell you what happens. When the Olympics happen every four years, I find time. To watch the Olympics, I just do. Hannah's asleep, and I'm up just like, highlight, 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 you know? (laughs) I found time. And that's what's happening here. It's not like they just canceled the rest of their lives. They're like, they're still working, they're still doing other things. But but what their lives look like in that other time, that discretionary time, it's all of a sudden it's about obeying the words of Jesus. That just defines it all for them. And that defines the church. Isn't that cool? Maybe it's, it's good for you to start writing down like, wow, I have discretionary, like I do use my time different ways. I make excuses for not praying. Like I make excuses for not fellowshipping. I actually do make excuses, right? I do. We move on to uh, chapter two. And in chapter two, I've actually never noticed this before studying Acts 1 and 2 this time, is the first prayer of the early church. The first prayer that we have recorded from the early church is a prayer for godly leadership. Isn't that amazing? Acts, um, sorry, Acts 1, as that, as that ends, um, they, they say this, right? They've gathered two people to replace Judas, and they, they talk about this as the apostolic ministry. Listen, in verse 24 of chapter 1, it says, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. I love this prayer for a couple of reasons. One, I, I love it because it's for godly leadership. The, the church has leadership. Our church has leadership. Um, if you're a part of a church, there is leadership. Is it godly leadership? Is it leadership that remembers Jesus and seeks to obey Jesus? And then the prayer they offer, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry. The first thing is it's about God and it's about God, a personal God, because it says, Lord, you know our hearts. These are people who, who had walked with Jesus and they probably remember like Jesus just seeing them and knowing their heart. And so when they're praying, God, you know, you know us. It's the start of it. Lord, you know our hearts about a personal God. The second is this. It's, it's about uh, their understanding of themselves as they're praying for leadership. They, they understand, this is beautiful, they understand that they have an apostolic ministry. Those who had walked with Jesus and they had this responsibility to carry on the ministry of Jesus. And I could go way more into that, but I'll just leave it there. They, they understood the trust that had been given to them by Jesus. 
And then they were looking from these two to go to one, not because everyone was an apostle. That's good to see, right? It's not like, well, we'll just take both. They'll both be. <laughs> no, it was a certain ministry they were given as apostles. And then the last, um, being honest about issues. It's kind of a, a harsh word at the end. Judas left to go where he belongs. I'm like, okay, amen. Uh, that's the way they ended it. <laughs> You're like, okay. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah. There was an issue. There was someone who did not remain faithful. There was someone who didn't finish well. That was Judas. And so we need to discuss that and, and how are we going to keep moving on as a church because sometimes the church has bad leaders. Judas, bad leader. Okay? And we need to keep moving on. That doesn't mean because there's a bad leader we just go, okay, this thing, this whole thing's screwed up. No, Judas was. So how are we going to keep moving on faithfully? God, you know our hearts. Help us. Help us to do that. That was the first prayer of the church, and it's echoed throughout the book of Acts. Acts 13, they're praying in the church of Antioch. It says they're fasting and praying. The Lord says during that, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. And it says, even though the Holy Spirit just said that, it says, then they pray and fast. And then they placed their hands on him. So it wasn't like, okay, the Holy Spirit talked, we're going to play. They weren't hasty in that. They go, okay, now we're going to fast some more and pray some more and, and lay our hands on them. Acts 20, 36, when Paul had finished speaking to the elders of Ephesus, he knelt down and he prayed for them. This is, this is the model, praying for leadership, praying for godly leadership. We pray for a lot of things in the church, do we pray for godly leadership in the church? Do you pray to be led by godly people? I'm a leader, and I pray to be led by godly people. I'm a leader of a lot of things, and I need to be led myself by godly people. Following this prayer for leadership, they keep gathering. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them. You have this amazing Pentecost sermon. We're not going to look into that simply because we're going to dig into prayer a little more. And so for that, we're going to turn to uh, verses 42 to the end of the chapter in, in chapter 2. In that, you get the habits of the early church, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. These things defined the early church. If you were just going to skim off the top of what the early church did, the highlight reel, you're like, wow, what I see is them doing these things. I see them dedicating themselves to the apostles' teaching. Literally, doctrine. This was something unified and systematic. The interesting thing is we get it in narrative. But it, that doesn't mean it was just like willy-nilly. There was apostles' teaching, and it was unified, and they were teaching the same thing. If you read a lot of weirdo books today, you will be led to believe that it was like just everybody kind of doing their own thing until Constantine. That's not what happened. <laughs> they had unified teaching, the apostles' teaching. They had doctrine at the beginning. Why? Because Jesus had taught them. He'd stayed for 40 days and taught them that, and now the apostles holding on to that message are communicating that. That's how it happened. The apostles' teaching. Don't buy into this weird modern lie that it was just like everyone saying their own thing and then eventually it came out as the Bible. 
That's not the way it worked. <laughs> they had apostles teaching, and they were unified in that. And in that teaching, they fellowshiped together. And this fellowship, this koinonia, which is the word, is committed, consistent, intimate. That's the beauty of this fellowship. And I, I'm going to use the word committed there. Our modern view of fellowship is what I used to call cupcake time at community group, right? That's kind of been our view of fellowship, right? We like get together and we're eating cupcakes and like that we're fellowshipping. We have fellowship halls. We have these fellowship times, right? This is committed. This is being, I can rely on these people. They're going to be here not just today. They're going to be here tomorrow. I can lean on them. That's beautiful, right? That's koinonia. That's fellowship. It's not will they show up or not. It's they will be there because we fellowship together. That's beautiful. That should be the church. Breaking of bread, which is this communion meal we take every week. And it was more of a meal to them. And maybe someday we'll just have a huge meal every Sunday. I don't know. It, it's, uh, th- it was. They were sharing it. But as they shared, imagine sitting around a dinner table with people. And as you're eating, as you're breaking bread, eating, you're going, hey, remember, this is like what Jesus did at his last supper. You can do this. Seriously, go home tonight, have people over break a hot dog bun, and be like, remember on the night Jesus was betrayed, he said, remember me, his body was broken. That's, that's what breaking of the bread meant. They would gather around, and intentionally, in the course of their meal, they would talk about Jesus together. And then prayer. They were known as a people committed to praying together. They constantly prayed together, right? That's what we get in one fourteen. They all joined together constantly in prayer. It's a pretty amazing church. And then the last part is simply this. There was a result to that prayer. And I want to use the word results because we, we shy away from the word results. It's a lot easier just to be like, well, we're kind of going for the same thing together. If we're all good people, other people want to be good people and they were on a mission. They had been commissioned by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them, and that he would be with them to the very end of the age. That is what they were gathering around, and they wanted those results. Does it kind of make you shudder to hear the word results in church? They wanted those results that people would be baptized, that people would become disciples of Jesus. And honestly, I hate how rarely we see that now. Okay? Let's just be honest together. And we should want those results, and we should pray for those results, because those results aren't just a number like, I feel better about myself. Those results are people being part of the kingdom of God. They're becoming sons and daughters of God. That's a good thing. We should pray towards that and in praying together, desperately going, God, will you multiply your family here? The results of that, the results of the ministry of Jesus they prayed for were were this. Everyone was filled with awe the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything they had was in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad 
and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what happens. Awe, signs and wonders, sharing of their things together, radical generosity, spending time together, fullness of joy and salvation. I could go like way into each of those things. But in each of one of those things, if I were just to look at those words, I'd be like, man, there's Jesus. That's Jesus. This is what Jesus did when he was here. It's the ministry of Jesus. This is the fruit of a praying life. That's what we pray for. What do we pray for is the big question today. The answer is we simply pray for the ministry of Jesus to happen from us, with us, in us, through us. That's what we should want. That's what we pray for. Do you not know what to pray for? Do you sit down and you're like, what, is, what, am I, what do I need right now? What was bad today? What was bad this week? Don't reach too far when you pray. Start with just praying for the ministry of Jesus. God, I pray that your kingdom would come. And then let him define your whole life through that prayer. God, I pray that you will save people I know, people in my city, and then let him show you the whole world around you through that lens, right? Like, don't reach. Don't try to like pull in things and be like, well, God, I I hope you're interested in this as much as I am because I'm praying for it. That's oftentimes how we pray, right? I'm really interested in this. Our prayer really should start with, God, you're holy. God, may your kingdom come and your, your will be done in all of my life. And then letting, letting him start fill our minds with man and let your kingdom come here. I see this part of my life that isn't in submission to your kingdom. May it be. So our prayers, don't reach further in your praying life than simply the ministry of Jesus. And then, then let the Holy Spirit start praying through you for these things. And the great thing is that salvation can come from this. People who are just amazed, wow. <laughs> like we want, we want Jesus too. We want to be a part of that life, that life that is connected to Father, Son, and Spirit like we saw in, in John 17 that Jesus prayed for. May they be one as we are one. And that is the praying life. I have seen so many beautiful things in the history of this church, the ministry of the Coffee Oasis, as we've prayed And I will tell you, so many amazing things have happened. People have come to know Jesus. People have been baptized. Um, Our prayer meetings were never huge. (laughs) Prayer meetings were definitely the part where you were like, who's going to show up? You know, and you kind of end up having the same like five to eight people. Typically, Melissa can remember this. It was five five to eight people, you know, and and you're like, and then you're like pretty consistent once once a week, then once every other week, and then once a month, you know, and you're like, same people, and you're praying. And God's still doing these things with that small group of people. Now, the cool thing is everybody was doing it here. I mean, they were definitely living on this momentum of Jesus spending 40 days and teaching them. <laughs> and so they're just, man, they're bonded together in this. And, and the church, you know, you, you get past Acts two and you get into three and all of a sudden the community starts kind of giving some pushback by the time you get to chapter eight Stephen's getting stoned killed and then the church is getting dispersed because of persecution and and all of a sudden man you get a little further and like like people are breaking up <laughs> like Paul and, Paul and Barnabas just don't like each other anymore you know you're getting these things right this is that's why when we look at Acts 1 and 2 it is beautiful and, and it is what we should be going for 
unity in prayer together. That we are not praying for our own agendas, we're praying for the kingdom of God to come. That the ministry of Jesus would happen here. Right? So what does that look like? We do have a history of prayer in this church. What will it look like going forward? And I think some of it, even as we have to talk about this as elders, you need to talk about this in your families. We need to talk about this all the time. We need to, we have to. This is what it means to be a Christian. To follow Jesus, to know God means to pray. God, you know our hearts because God's personal, right? This is what it means to be a follower. It will, even in your own marriages, the closest relationships you have, and this church, it will feel like you are two children standing on a pier wondering if they'll jump with you, right? Hannah and I talked a lot about prayers we got into our marriage, and we do an okay job of praying. <laughs> I would give us like a solid 60%. So not quite passing. <laughs> we pray together. We would love to pray together more. We, we've, you know, we talk about it. But, you know, it's interesting, and I can hear it in her voice. And even when I talk about prayer, it still is like one of those, hey, do you want to pray tonight? Right? And, and, and if it feels like that in our marriage, and we have a great marriage, you know, if it feels like that in a marriage, imagine like your community group or your church, you know, being like, hey, do you guys want to pray? To, who's going to show up? Is this going to be one of those long prayer times? Are people just going to drone on? You know, like this is what we go through, trying to find our way back to being a praying people, praying marriages, praying individuals, praying church. I don't present this like it's an easy way. I present this as the only way, yeah? <laughs> but definitely not the natural way. So we have to make this annoyingly a part of our conversation. Right? You guys with me? <laughs> okay. This is the only way forward. So let's pray together. Like those kids counting down, three, two, one, are you with me? And even if they don't jump, keep swimming, right? Keep praying. Because your prayers can change this church. Pray until someone else starts praying with you. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the elders of this church that we will be praying leaders. Hold us accountable to praying. That's why we've spent 16 weeks talking about prayer. Because that is the way, that is the way we walk with God here on earth. So with that, I invite you to break the bread with me, and then we'll pray. We break the bread in these mornings to always remember Jesus. On the, night was, on the night he was betrayed, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, taking the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you take it, remember that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and that by the shedding of his blood, you can have forgiveness of sins. Remember that every time you take it. Pray with me. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to be the, the humble forces in our relationships and our church and that we say sometimes what feels uncomfortable even uttering hey do you guys want to pray 
and not just a quick prayer, just because I want to just spend time praying. Because my heart burns for it, yearns for it. God, teach us to pray. Teach us not to just try to empty our minds and come up with our own thoughts when we pray. Fill us with the heart of Jesus when we pray. Who so loved the world, that your heart, that you so love the world. And we pray for the salvation of those we know. Give us that sight when we pray. And we pray that these results will come, God, that you'll make us a God-fearing people, that we're in awe of you. We pray that you'll make us a people that see signs and wonders, that you'll make us a people that we share, that we're radically generous with each other, and that people are saved, that people are becoming a part of the family of God. We pray for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.